Hello, Jeremy. Hello, Raphael. What's going on? What is going on? This is like my first weekend, quote unquote, off, though I have a little bit of work to do. What was that little guitar? What's that? Oh. I thought I would add a little flavor to the episode. Yeah, that added a lot of flavor. <laughs> <laughs> I found a soundboard online. Oh, cool. How does how do you play it? Are you uh, like playing it through some virtual audio, audio thing? No, just on my phone. Oh, okay, right. So you're just holding your phone up. Yeah, to the, yeah, yeah. It's pretty simple. The but it's a, a beautiful sound. Wait, what else? They got this one. Okay, I'll that's save that That's a good that summary. One. Yeah, that, that's my sound. That one? <laughs> <laughs> okay. If good you haven't stopped listening episode. yet, now's your chance. <laughs> Welcome to the Good Point episode uh, 118, 19 something. Yeah. Well, it's funny because I was like, I spent the week um, kind of involved in like a television show production that was like a conference slash festival. But everything's gone online. And so it was like, there was like a huge TV crew, like, you know, we or like everyone transformed into a TV crew, but the, the idea of like a soundboard yeah. or something like, um, I don't know, we're living in this world now where maybe everyone needs a soundboard. Yeah. Did you, <laughs> like you're in a meeting. Did you in, invest in any uh, ring light or things like that? So it's funny, actually, on that on that front, like, so I put up I put my digital SLR, like I hooked that up, which I already had, like, uh, it's an old Panasonic Lumix G4. Because I feel like they're usually not so flattering. SLRs. Oh, my goodness. The opposite. What like what was happening was like, I had some regular day job meetings mixed into this festival. And I would people would like, (laughs) start the meeting and they'd be like, wait, wait, we have to stop. Jeremy, what is going like at one occasion, someone was like, I just have to say you look particularly handsome. Today. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Like, did you do something different with your setup? Because okay. I think it's also lighting. Like, I, I and I set up like the lighting so that I had like kind of two points. And it's weird. I have like Philips Hue in my house, but I set myself up so that I could control the Philips like Hue yeah. lights from my kitchen, like for one point, and then I didn't have three point lighting, but then I had a second point, which was daylight coming. Well, in yeah, I think a, a big followed all the tricks. A big issue is that. Mostly computers are at desks and they're towards a wall. Facing a wall. So that's yeah. basically the worst. There's light behind you and et cetera. And it's comfortable to work, but not so good for the webcam. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I that, I did the opposite. I, I followed all the rules and uh, it looked great. Okay. Yeah. I, I, the, only, the only problem is like, I don't normally work sitting. The only so problem is I'm too damn table. beautiful. <laughs> the real issue was... <laughs> Um, no, the only, the only issue I think ends up being like, you have to, to do that, right? Like you said, you have to kind of set yourself up into an uncomfortable. Yeah. It's, it's not something you could really get work done other than uh, being a webcam star. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, you get into the rhythm. I did it for seven days, which was kind of uh, both fun and exhausting. Um, but how about you? Like, uh. Do you have to do very many video calls, actually? No. Like, have your studio visits no. transitioned online? I, or I don't do a lot of studio email. visits, period. I've, I've never mostly e- never done them. Emails? You do emails, though? Yeah. It's, uh, it's always been someone sends an email, and we do a project, and they see my work online, and I think my work is kind of like, you like it or you don't, and it's pretty clear. I don't think you need a lot of uh, explanation or diving in, so... 
Is that your like um, form reply email? Yeah. <laughs> They're like, we'd like to have a Skype call. He's like, you either get it or you I'm sorry. <laughs> no, it, 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 I often have emails once the project starts and then the, pro- the, the emails get more complicated and then I'll do calls, but I prefer audio only. I think it's uh, more mm. to the point and more... I, I feel like it's a better communication because you're not so self-aware and you're not worried about the lighting and... Hmm. Like if, let's say if I'm talking to Rainier, my programmer, we've been working together for 20 years. Yeah, I've worked, I've worked with him. Yeah. You, you referred him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'd much rather have audio only, but we know each other and we've seen each other face to face many times. But then, uh, just an example, uh, the Ant Festival in the UK with the curator mm-hmm. Ruth McCullough, you, you might know her. Yeah, we've worked yeah. together a few times. They that. just yeah. made these uh, this set of cards that are like the Oblique Strategies cards, like Brian Eno, and I made some images for the backside. And we spoke on the phone about it a few times, and then I would send files back and forth with ideas, and we talked about that over mm-hmm. email. But I don't think doing that over video and then hanging uh, prints in front of the webcam and talking about it is, is better, so... That's my workflow. It's interesting because, yeah, I think your workflow is a little bit different than mine because so much of what I do is like actually drawn out of the people I work with. I'm more of like a vampire that way. Mm. <laughs> like I don't give back, I take, and then I give it back to you in a different form. Um, yeah. So even like doing this festival, you know, I, I think like hosting it, I really needed to get to know my co-host who ended up being, we ended up becoming pretty good friends through the, the, the trauma of running a festival together. But, you know, it really required it for me. I need to see the, the person's face and that like, I need like, you know, the more, more than that, I need like their life. Like I, I think I, that's what I crave. Like I need like, okay, well, what'd you have for dinner? What, what are you worried about or what's going? Cause if you're performing too, especially you want to kind of play off the person in a way that's natural like you and I on this podcast, I think. So even, but I've taken that to when I work with a curator, um, I want to know like everything that motivates them. And, you know, oftentimes curators might've worked as artists. I like this. uh, I saw Gilbert and George in interview and they had their strategy with curators. And they said, well, basically we don't like curators at all. (laughs) We know what we want. So what we do is we make a model of the museum and then we completely spec out the exhibition and invite them over, but we put a blanket over the maquette and we give them lots of champagne so they get drunk and then we reveal it and like, here's the exhibition. This is how it's going to be. And then the curator is happy. Mm. Well, yeah, in, in a way, the, the job's done. Yeah. Then, where I'm like, we've got to figure this out from scratch every time. Mine's not a very efficient Yeah, I, I, sure. I, I like... Uh, I like getting energy from curators and they might say, what did you think of this? Let's do it bigger, blah, 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 and things like that. So I I don't mind the curator having influence, but uh, I I just, I think the studio visit thing, uh, maybe it's different for you. It Mm -hmm. just feels like such a thing for painters. No, I don't really do studio visits. I mean, I have done them and it's always ridiculous. Um, I do a lot of video, like not a lot, but like, you know, once a month or something, I'll do like a video thing. And you do it with, with effects in AI? Yeah, actually, like, um, from time to time, just to get my point across yeah. about what I'm about. This is possible. Um, yeah, this is what we're doing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then people get it. Also, it's funny because like, is there you go. 
<laughs> just again. No, but I, I was just thinking but like that's how um, the studio I'm, visit would be. You're like doing effects. Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, I would. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but in vis- visual instead. Yeah. But I think like um, uh, all this remote stuff, right, has, is obviously happening because of the pandemic. Theore- in theory, like, you know, I got a grant, for example, and they're like, oh, you have to like resubmit your grant with like adjustments for not traveling. And I was like, oh, I already figured it out. Like, I didn't need to travel. Um, you just did, you know, like, I got get everything this. remote. I got this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then they're like, "No, well, you have to spend well, money." Well, you have to have an <laughs> yeah. like you have to have an online component. You're like, "Don't you worry." Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So I think like um you're like you or I or other artists that might be listening to the podcast have probably the idea of a studio visit existed because you were making like big sculptures in a studio or big paintings and you had to see them in person. Yeah. The pigment it's color also, f- wouldn't translate like, over photo. I feel like it's for people who drink and smoke. So you get together and you sit around the table and you share cigarettes and beer that's the studio visit yeah well we also it also begs the question of like you know does the residency need to exist in that world you know as well yeah i guess all the residency programs right now are completely shut down right because you can't travel for them yeah yeah i guess you can have residencies within your own country when normally those residencies would be looking for artists from other countries like there's there's all these residencies around the world that are swapping artists from different countries and now they can have local artists. Yeah, but the whole point of a residency is really to shift your context, right? To start yeah, Canada is so big, be... so you could have the East Coast artists go to the West Coast and the other way around. Mm, unfortunately, that's not how Canada works. <laughs> You're not allowed to go to... We're, we're actually like prevented from moving from oh, province to I province see. during the pandemic. Anyway... Uh, that's a story for another day. Like we even okay. like you can't get wine from one province okay, into well, the other well, province. Well, speaking of immobility, I want to do a little segue. That's a good segue. That's a good segue yeah, because I want to talk about renting this movie and how hard it was. Uh, how was it for you? Um, well, I found it on YouTube, and then I was like, mm, I really want the highest quality well, I, version I, of this. Yeah. The, 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 so the first, I, I wanted to talk about this ritual because everyone right now is watching more things than before, and every. Well, especially for this movie, too, because it wasn't yeah. available in America. Yeah, so I think it's all yeah. relevant. So it, mm-hmm. it sounds banal, but this distribution is always very interesting to me. The The, the issue is you, you want to watch a specific movie, which is already the platforms don't want you to watch a specific movie. They want to just whatever was cheap and on the shelf. They want to shame, 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 shame. Yeah, but, but, but ne- don't watch this. But Netflix, Netflix is like, oh, we got yeah. some Adam Sandler movies. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't don't even think about what you should <laughs> yeah. watch. So uh, we'll, we'll tell you this podcast yeah. because we're sharing uh, movie suggestions between us. We we're quite specific. So sometimes it's quite hard. So this movie yeah. was always kind of controversial in distribution. So the first thing I do is just in Google, uh, movie title and streaming, and then you get a bunch of selections of where you can rent it. Mm-hmm. So I saw that there was a pirated copy on YouTube, Japanese spoken with English subtitles, but the quality was quite bad. It's like a cam. Um, like so bad that it's hard to discern certain scenes because they're dark. And uh, yeah. so, okay, yeah. free option is not so good. Then... It was for rent on YouTube for one ninety nine and on iTunes Good for price. three ninety nine. So of course, mm. I go for the YouTube, YouTube option, and I start. Pl- it's just the cam, but without no. <laughs> I, st- I start playing <laughs> it, kidding. but it's it dubbed in English, and I'm like, wait, oh, wait, no. wait, 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 wait. So I turn it off and I try to get a refund. Not possible. 
Oh, bastards. Yeah. So I'm on the Roku TV doing this in the YouTube app. I can't get the 199 back, but no way I'm watching the dubbed version. Then Roku has a general search, so it will show you in which services the movie is available. And mm-hmm. I search, and it's like, oh, it's for free on Roku TV with some ads. I'm like, okay, I'll try mm-hmm. that. How bad can the ads mm-hmm. be? And then it's really every 10 minutes, four minutes of ads. So after 15 minutes, I'm like, okay, this is too much. And then uh, finally, I paid three ninety nine on iTunes, and it was fine. But uh, still kind of a dark mm. uh, print, I would say. I, f- I feel like it's darker than it should have been. And uh, uh, mm. we, we talked about this before. Like they have these, the movie was shot beautifully, and then it was copied to VHS, and then they scanned the DVD, and who knows what they do. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I, so for me, it was interesting to go back and watch this because I had originally watched it on VHS, like rented at a movie, you know, a video yeah. store, and really excited to see it on the shelf. That Did you know because... about this because of Tarantino? No. Because I feel like I, this I was... movie went around as one of his favorites. This is an example of a movie where, for at least for my generation or age, you know, it would come up in discussion amongst nerds or at a party and be like, oh, that's like Battle Royale. Yeah. Have you seen it's it? It's a frame of reference. Like, it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you'd be like, what are you talking about? And then, oh, eventually you're like, ah, people are always mentioning this Battle Royale. Where do I even get this yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you're like, you end up in an obscure video store, definitely not at your Blockbuster, and then you like spot it on the shelf, and it's like in like the Japanese like great section or something. Well, for a know? long time, it was it, actually so it's a gateway. Uh, distributors refused to distribute it because it was too violent and using children and violence. Had no American distribution, yeah. so you had to get it as and an it's, import. And it's forbidden. Yeah. In, uh, it was in South Korea, and it's a controversial one. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I yeah. So I saw it originally. I probably rented it from this place called Queen Video, and I have so many stories about this old video store. We have ne- it's so funny. We've never talked about the video store. This video store once, like, they found out I worked in technology and I knew about technology, and they're like, "Come into the back room," and they're like, "I think I've told this story before no, on the podcast." So. But okay, the guy's like, "Look, I have this idea." The idea is we're going to take, you know, we're, we have two stores. We have two locations in the city. We're going to open a third, but actually we're not. We're going to put all of the movies from the third location, like in the trunk of a car. Then we're going <laughs> to we're going to drive the car around the city constantly. Maybe we do it with two or three cars. And then when an order comes in over the Internet, <clears throat> we'll dispatch the car to your home within a certain number of minutes. So you're never more than 10 minutes away from a movie. Um, and, and we'll do that all day long. It'll just be like, you know, video on demand. Yeah. <laughs> so they were describing like net they, and they, I think Netflix existed. I was like, at the time, the I think DVD? I was like, Oh, you mean like Netflix, but it wasn't here yeah, in Canada yeah. yet. Yeah. Just the DVD Netflix. And they're like, yeah, but this is better. Cause it's like not, you don't have to wait like a day by mail. It's this, like within a few minutes, like pizza. And what's interesting is the, is the privacy aspect. They know what you're renting but no system at large knows what you're renting. And I could see if you're watching a lot of these movies and it shows up in a profile and there's a flag somewhere and then you cross the border and it's like, oh, you've been watching a lot of violent movies. And why yeah, are you doing well, what's that? Funny, what's funny about that time and based on what you just said was it was actually easier for me to go see weird or like hard to find movies than it is now in the digital yeah. era to do it like legit. Like basically Blockbuster just moved onto the internet but the video store, like the like you know the quirky video store. I don't know if you had one that yeah, you went yeah. to, but like 
we had suspect video here in Toronto and then queen video. I preferred queen video personally, but suspect was even weirder. And you'd go in there and you weren't, you didn't know what you were looking for, but if you were looking for something in particular, and I had a friend, this guy, Tasman, he's still a friend and an artist, and he made all his videos from movies. Like, so he'd take clips from movies and he'd say, he'd like be able to go into a store like that and be like, I'm looking for a movie where there's maybe like a, you know, an assassin that chops a watermelon. And they'd be like, ah, yes, that'd be Kurosawa's like, mm. you know, whatever, watermelon, lemonade. Well, that's lemonade. the power of curation there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I, I and that's feel what like they, the equivalent of, of these weird video stores is, is uh, piracy. YouTube? No, mm. I think piracy. But I think we're at an age where we don't have that much time and we'd rather just pay four bucks than figure it out. I think... I mean, I did use I did use Pirate Bay to watch uh, like a Blu-ray director's cut of this movie. That's how I ended oh, up watching okay. it. Not, like the qual- I wanted the quality to be the highest yeah, possible. But I, I feel like uh, there are a lot of hashtags in the, uh, the Pirate Bay and other search engines and who knows, maybe Usenet or Google Drive and all kinds of things. Uh, mm-hmm. But there are curated clubs, but they're illegal. So I, I think that's a difference. Mm, I see what you're saying. Like there are movie clubs and stuff. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. There are, and those are closed. Yeah, and you have to like upload a, a, a rare film. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, so the the director of this film, Kinji uh, Fukasaku, right? I think mm-hmm. Fukasaku. Yeah, that's his name. Um, he he was actually a relatively main. I mean, not mainstream director. I mean, he's like a, a well-known Japanese director. But this was like his like hundredth film or something like that. It's an odd film to have become like a cult film. That was his in international breakthrough. Yeah. Yeah. It was like on his last film. We often talk about like artists, like when do they peak? <laughs> yeah. That's amazing if and you can like, do that at a later age. Yeah. Yeah. He was like 70 years old when he made this movie about teenagers. And um, he said it was like, we haven't summarized the plot, but you know, just so you know, we'll get there. Um, but he said it was like such a great treat to, to work with. Um, with teenagers again in his 70th year, but it reminded him of his own teenage years. Mm. But he grew up, I think for context, it's important to note, he he grew up from like age, like when he was the age of these teenagers working in, a, you know, in Japan at the end of the Second World War. And they forced the, his classroom to work in a munitions factory and, and to also like carry dead bodies out during like um, raids and like um, there were like, I guess, attacks and stuff. And, so the kids were responsible for burying, burying their classmates, uh, which is weird. Yeah. Um, anyway, it's not uh, ideal. So it, not ideal. But you think the movie is like really like a weird premise. You're like, this couldn't happen. Like the first thing you think is like, this is a paper thin plot, like just designed to get to the killing, which I know you hate the killing. So no, it's interesting no, I, in I, actually, I love this movie. So it's it, I'm not against violent movies. Uh, Maybe Mm. it's interesting to talk about. Yeah. Let's talk about the difference. Yeah. Yeah. Well, okay. The summary of the movie is really quick, right? Like in terms of the premise, the premise is, you know, it's uh, Japan in the near future. It was, it's based on a novel written in 19. It's another dystopia like every movie ever made. The author of that novel, I can't remember his name. I just know he was born the same year I was. So he accomplished a lot more than me. Anyway, (laughs) So the, anyway, the book like came out and then they made this movie and the, the book and the movie are about the same thing, which is in the future, um, like kids have basically become like, you know, coddled and unruly. They're like basically, you know, the equivalent of the OK Boomer situation that we have now. 
And as retribution, the adults, they like, or they're like, okay, we're going to teach these kids a lesson. And every year they randomly choose one class to go fight to the death on an isolated island. And it's the last man yeah. standing so or we, last person we, standing. We see, kind of first we see a little bit of unruly behavior in the high school. And then they all go on a bus on a field trip and there's a, a sleeping gas. They all fall asleep and then they wake up. They don't know where they are. And one of the high school teachers who had been stabbed by one of his students is there with the military and they all have a, a strap around their neck that will kill them if they do the wrong thing, uh, if they go in the wrong zone. Or if in the wrong zone. Yeah. yeah, and it monitors them. It monitors their GPS. There's a microphone in it. They later find out. They're completely controlled, and only one person gets out alive. And so there's a bit of strategy, uh, and it, there's a lot of psychology. Do you work together, or do you just kill everyone, and etc.? And that, that's that's kind of the theme of the movie. Uh, do you trust people or not? And is there a way out? And yeah, and I guess the basic premise is, you know, adults can't be trusted, especially, you know, because they're the ones who put us in this situation. And so there ends up being this, like, it's almost like a weird coming of age story. Like, it's a search for adulthood, but like re- rejection of adulthood at the same time. Um, and it's also it's and- also a celebration of uh, how photogenic violence is. I, I think a lot of action <laughs> movies... No, I'm, I'm dead serious about this. I think a lot of action movies... And a lot of war is successful because movies about violence are so thrilling. Like mm. a, a movie of two people arguing with their arms crossed for 45 minutes would be very boring. And they say, you did it. No, mm-hmm. you did it. You're stupid. I'm stupid. Blah, blah, blah. Instead, if there's like a movement is, is very good in movies and, and violence is like a dance. It's a... Well, they actually like emphasize that throughout this movie. I guess if we were to like mention the music, it's almost all classical, yeah, great classical. Yeah, it's music. like a ballet. Yeah, and then they'll like show these like kind of at some at sometimes it verges on extremely cheesy, but like they will orchestrate like the aesthetics are so orchestrated at some time at, at some points. You're like, okay, they just did that to create this bizarre pirouette. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like the the body movements. Yeah, are absurd. yeah like, I, I think a lot of times. Uh, Films are made on a very thin impulse. So it might be that the director was sketching in a sketchbook and it's like, oh, I really want to film a head being chopped off and then falling into onto a dining table. And that's and then you just mouth. build the movie around that. You know, like that. that's... <laughs> but the, oh, I want, I want a yeah. candlelit dinner and like some corpses falling on, uh, uh, on the hors d'oeuvres. You did mention, though, um, Tarantino earlier. So he had some, I, I'm not aware, but you, he is influenced by this? Because I, I think of yeah. directors who, well, I, I mean, he, I, he always a lot of things are problematic. I think he mentioned a lot of uh, Asian, there was, a, there was a whole wave. One of the things that's interesting about this movie is that it, it's such a violent movie, and the U.S. is like, we don't want to distribute this. But then Japan is a country with one of the lowest crime, crime rates in the world, and, and not a lot of violent crime. Mm-hmm. So that's... But at the time of the making of this film, there was there was some like high school violence that was kind of sweeping because of. I think the numbers the lost were so dec- low in, in Japan. No, no, no. You're right. But they had they had just gone through the lost decade, which became, as we know, like the lost two decades, right, where there was a huge economic decline in Japan, and then the youth was becoming unruly, or at least I that think, was the perception I think, of adults. I think and, when when Japanese say the youth is unruly, it's nothing compared to the U.S. 
But I heard about a news story uh, while I was just looking a little bit into this film, like some backstory. And no, time, I, I, I really have to. But did you hear about the, there was a beheading at the time at one of the I schools. looked at the numbers of, of massacres and it's just, it just pales into comparison. Yeah. And what I want to say <clears> is Japan is not a small country. It's about half the population of the U.S. So if the U.S. has a hundred to a thousand times more murders, it's funny mm. that the U.S. is like, oh, we can't handle this movie. <laughs> no, it, at the time though, it was it came out at the time of Columbine. I think that was like added to yeah. the yeah. But that's the, the, the that's the funny ironic thing is that the the country yeah. with the least violence can make these movies, and the country with the most violence is like, hey, that's not proper. Well, what I think is both awesome and also an interesting like kind of controversy of the film is the director himself was like. You know, the last line in the film, something like keep running. But like the whole premise is like, no matter what you're doing, kids, like don't listen to these adults who are trying to control you um, because it's all going to be a pack of lies. And, you know, the director was remembering, uh, you know, his youth being completely destroyed by the Japanese propaganda of his era and saying like anytime like you have, the, you know, an older generation talking down to a younger generation they're probably doing so out of some kind of like, you can't really trust the, the rationale for doing it, right? It could either be resentful, resentment, like the OK Boomer thing yeah. that I mentioned at the outset. I, I just want to, I want to get back like, with a statistic. Just oh, yeah, yeah, let's go back to the stats. OK. U.S. Uh, murder rate, um, 15,000 per year, around that number, and Japan around mm -hmm. 700. So... Yeah, and it's a country having that's one beheading is one third it sounds size. it sounds yeah. awful, but uh, let's put it in perspective. But zero beheadings in the U.S. during that. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you're so right. It's much more peaceful country. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If we just go based on beheading statistics, yeah. and, but it is interesting. Um, but that's if, why if there's a beheading about, in the film. Uh, violence in video games and movies and what they do, uh, if they actually result in death and if they inspire people to kill, and because we. Humans have a fascination with gore and violence. Like, uh, it seems weird. Why would you look at that? Well, you're getting to the segue that, uh, and I, I, I was going to wait a little longer for, but you cannot separate this film from um, the culture it created uh, in video games. So, yeah, um, yeah, this film, and then obviously, like the Hunger Games came out around the same time, and and there was intentional controversy between both films that fueled their promotional schedules. Um, but that resulted in a new genre of video game um, where mods, like uh, for those who don't know, when you buy a video game um, in the PC community, anyway, there's this large community of people who modify the game. I used to do this when I was a kid. Like you, it could be it, when I was a kid, it was like as simple as changing the textures or maps. But eventually mods got to this point where people invented whole games inside of games. And some of the early mods to try and like recreate the feeling of Battle Royale or Hunger Games resulted in a new genre of video game, which is now the dominant genre of video game on the planet, which is called the Battle Royale format or genre of video game. And it's the most popular video game in that genre is called Fortnite. Um, and it exact it almost follows the plot or the it, the premise of the movie as a video game one to one. Um, and it, it, it pretty much dominates teenage culture, you know, at this point. So to your point, uh, Raph, like every teenager plays Fortnite of, or not every teenager, but and it, I, I don't know if it skews by gender, but a lot of teenagers play it. It's very popular. Um, adults play it, too. Um, 
but uh, are they more violent because they play those video games? Ironically, Fortnite came out after the the, the breakthrough game in this genre, which was um, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, Pub Pub Known, um, whatever. P- player, uh, yeah, Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, which was more realistic in appearance. But Fortnite is very cartoony and more accessible, and I think probably more palatable to parents. Uh, ironically, so the violence has been dumbed down significantly. Um, but it's still the same premise. It's a bunch of teenagers killing each other. Yeah. Um, but but really, so when you think of, of fiction and even religious texts, they've always been full of violence. Yeah, and I you know I think back to when I was in school, I read a book called Lord of the Flies. Yeah. I don't know if that was popular, That's relevant that was popular to in Europe. Story. Yeah, yeah, yeah a similar premise. Of I like, feel like Lord of know, the Flies was always in any school system. You learn about society and what happens when you have no rules. And yeah, but ultimately, it also like. When you're a child, you're trying to make sense of society, and you're like, "Oh, the society's right here in my classroom." Yeah, you know, like everything I see here ends up exploding. Yeah, why do we need you know, police? Macro why do we need rules? And yeah, 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 exactly. The classroom ends up being this great petri dish for society later on. Yeah, I think that's what's so interesting about teachers and their role in different teacher styles, because there are teachers obviously that let the classroom like discover learning, and there are teachers that kind of dictate what should be learned, and it's very similar to you know, how different governments are organized and things like that. Yeah. So, so I was the rule breaker. Who are you in high school? I'm just curious. I was Raphael. I was the class clown. You were the class clown? I was clown. Raphael. <laughs> you did your own yeah. thing. But, but uh, I'm unique. I can't be categorized. But, the, the, <laughs> so the, but to explain the movie a little further, uh, yeah, so they, they have these... Uh, straps around their neck and if they don't follow the rules the head explodes and they demonstrated in the beginning they're like this kid is not behaving and his head explodes just yeah. they set the premise like okay guys we're serious this is not fun and games this is serious if they kill a few people in the yeah. first like two minutes yeah exactly so it's like mm-hmm. this is a fight to the death and you have to understand you can't just protest and sit and not do anything because you'll die and they even add two rebels in the mix the the exchange students they call them they've played the game before and they're kind of like cool looking uh, rebellious dudes or something from but they're both different they're both pretty different like one is like still got a heart yeah and the other one well we find that out later but in the beginning they're kind of like okay there's these two mystery people yeah two badasses yeah yeah and then um and then all games are off they keep changing the zones if you stay too long in one zone you can't just hide like you'll die too so they they keep they keep incentivizing it it feels a lot like a reality show where uh you could just chill but they figure out all kinds of ways to keep everything going and add drama and uh, yeah that's true yeah. i mean and they the premise is the open in the opening sequence that this has become like a major media event in japan like every year everyone looks forward to watching it similar to Hunger yeah Games, so I I, and i remember at the time there was first the real world on mtv do you remember that show yeah, it's like all these people in a house and then Big Brother started in the Netherlands and then became an international thing where it was this new form of television where you watch people do nothing. That mm-hmm. was, Just drama unfolds. Yeah, between but they, they would always add a game element. So you're like, okay, let's put 12 people in a house, but they can vote each other out. It's yeah. not just let's just watch 12 people in a house. And then you do things like, can you your phone is silent? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> Second time, third ring? time. Yeah. Oh, hang on. It's actually on my computer coming through. I oh, apologize. okay. It's uh, Thanksgiving here in Canada. 
So my family is raging up a storm. Oh. <laughs> Texas, just turkey this and come see us that. Love you yeah. all. Apologies. Anyways, um, what was I talking about? Um, totally distracted. Uh, you were talking about, um, oh, like Big Brother and... Yeah, reality um, TV. Yeah. Reality TV. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they always have this cheesy stuff like uh, there's you put a bunch of smokers in a house and there's only one cigarette. So like, stupid premises like this. And so I think this was... Uh, that moment that they were exploring reality TV, but taking it very far. But yeah, the, but the, the point I, I was getting at, yeah. I think, is the students naturally some become very ego egoistic and just try to kill everyone, and some are like, no, we're peaceful. Let's, but they all have a problem trusting each other. A lot of the movies about trust. Yeah. So the the the, yeah. the lone wolves that go crazy, they get killed off pretty quickly because they're inexperienced. They're not good at shooting or whatever. And then you get ambushed by a group and you, you're vulnerable. Yeah, they're all the kind of click or dynamic, kind of social dynamics that you remember from a classroom. Like there's the the nerdy hacker kids that try and like overthrow the system. There's like the kids that are just best, best friends. And the reason, but I wanted to bring up the reason that I suggested this film in the first place was because I thought, I thought this was an example of a film where there was not a single hero. But it turns out, yeah. of course, when, yeah, you wh yeah, yeah. when you whittle down the whole group of 40 students, that you do get to, like, these two or three well, it's, characters. Well, it's not obvious that... in the beginning who will win. I think uh, when no. you watch a Marvel movie, you always know who's going to win. That's true. So over, over the arc of this film, it, there are more. there's more than one character that's focused on. Somehow... Um, through bizarre backstory flashbacks and stuff, they do characterize quite a few of these people. Like you get enough that you kind of care about each character. I think that was the, the extended cut that they added that kind of stuff. Oh, like the requiems yeah. at the end. Did you see yeah. those? But also but the, the beginning was a bit the more film. elaborate than before, I think. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I saw the director's cut, so I can't recall if that was in the original. But I was trying to read up a you, bit because the direct, the, a lot of people considered the original the director's cut. He didn't really compromise. Okay. Um, okay. So, I don't know. It, it, and then they made an extended version more as a compromise to the audience to explain a bit more. Oh. Well, the, the weird thing in the version I watched was the Requiem's had already occurred in the film. Like, they just replayed them. Like, so they're like, here's the backstory of the teacher. And, the, like, the teacher who's, like, kind of the old teacher of the classroom, we should mention that he's, like, he's going through his own thing that they give you a backstory yeah. on. Like, his daughter hates him, and he's, but like, a deadbeat dad. I think this confusion like about what is what version is uh, mm. part of this distribution problem and this curation problem. Like, if you were in a video store, the clerk might tell you, oh, no. They tell you that this is the best version, but the director actually <laughs> thought that this yeah. was the better version. Yeah. What is the story with director's cuts in general? Because, like, I guess they exist. I mean, and it's relevant to this film because I, the studio execs yeah. thought this was what would play best to the most well, people the, in the cinemas. The idea of a director's cut is that uh, movies are compromised by the studio, and then later on they saved a bunch of material that the director wanted in the movie, and then they can rebrand the movie and say, okay, this was... Truly, the director, mm -hmm. and I think Blade Runner is the the most obvious example of a director's cut where it's better than. So when Blade Runner was released, it was such a new take on sci-fi that a lot of people were confused because they're like, "Oh, sci-fi is supposed to be shiny in space and high tech." Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. 
So there's like in the original version of C3PO. Yeah. And so so what <laughs> happened so was great. they released Blade Runner. They thought audiences wouldn't get it. So they added a voiceover to make everything more mm-hmm. obvious. And there was okay. a compromise that Ridley Scott didn't like at all. So then finally, like it became such a classic. And then they're like, you know what? Let's release the true version. But they, they interviewed Werner Herzog one time and like, would you make a, a DVD with extras and would you make a director's cut? And he's like, what are you talking about? I, every movie I make is 100% my vision and I don't have any extra scenes because I can't even afford to shoot them and I can't afford to store it. So That's why his films are four hours long. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's like, yeah, there's, there's zero compromise, so this doesn't make sense. And from what yeah. I read, that the, in, the, in this case, the movie, the original was without compromise and that the extended version was more to make it easy for the audience. Yeah. I mean, obviously when you watch this film too, you're like, what would they? It's like pretty densely packed and it's like, I would say it has to be so efficient because there's so many characters and there's so many, like so much happening um, like uh, that um, it at times is pretty cheesy. Like, it, and we talked about B movie films last week, but this definitely gets into that. Like, it's both aesthetic, but then there are also things where you're like, okay, like they that's a, a huge shortcut. And when I say shortcut, I mean like really big cliche because they don't have time to do anything more than the than the fastest yeah. thing here. Yeah. Um, so it felt like it feels like that stacked uh, up. And in that regard, it's also interesting for its time because. It's a fast movie, but without the techniques we associate with fast uh, movie making now, you know, like in terms of editing style, like the editing style is still kind of feels 90s, you know, like it feels like it could have been like a Spielberg film from 93 or something like that. But, um, you know, if he was making B movies, but it's still like, I don't know, there's a, like a lot of I stuff that's the unexplained. I pretty convincing. Like it. it yeah. What I mean is that the. The whole premise of the movie is so unrealistic. There is no island. There is no teenagers in Japan out of control. There is there is no wristband that works everywhere and never fails and can make your head explode. And you kind of accept it all. And I think the acting is convincing. And I feel like the island is convincing. I, well, the island, actually, we should mention, is a real yeah. uh, but like the, abandoned I, I, There's island. a couple of moments where the special effects are kind of bad. But uh, other than that, I feel like I was always in the movie. I, I wasn't yeah. so much no, like out true. of the movie, even though, though, I don't know. I I think I've seen so many Star Wars like movies that I can't look at them anymore and feel like I'm in the movie. And here, I, I thought what you said earlier though was more like closer to the truth, which is like the aesthetics at some like even the acting at some point is like so over the top yeah. that it pushes it into a place where you're like you start to enjoy it for not necessarily for its realism, like because the premise obviously doesn't feel real, but for it's like, you know, overall aesthetic value. Um, You know, there's, I don't know. It's like, there's, there's just some tons of stuff like the hacking stuff is hilarious to me. Anytime you have hacking. It it just sounds like if you told me the premise of this movie is like, Oh, no way that's going to work. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Like you, you wouldn't be able to. You'll not, you're never going to pull this off. So they do. They do pull it off. And you have to ask yourself, why is this film a classic? Because <clears throat> there are so many films that probably have that 
not necessarily tried to do the exact thing, but you know, of all the films, like I said, this, you know, this is this director's like 100th film yeah. or whatever, and it's been you know, around the block. It, the, the the premise, if you look at literary history, is not that novel. Um, and then the Hunger Games, of course, came out after it, and that's where there was some controversy in terms of like, was it ripped off or not? But everyone still attributes it to this this film being the film, yeah. and you know, so there's there's something special about it, um, and it, it's hard to put your finger on. Um, I, coming back to it after 20 years because I watched it, well, probably 15 years ago, was really really fascinating for me because I was, it still had charm. Like I was still captivated yeah. through the whole yeah. movie. Yeah. And I forgot Did Kristen watch it because with you? it's so dead. No, and I said she should have, but um, she didn't. I, I, I was uh, curious, as you as the woke police, uh, how, how does this movie age in that regard? Yeah, well, that was interesting too because like there's some gendered stuff in here, but it's actually, I'm going to say it's on the woke side. Yeah, so they were ahead <laughs> of the curve. They're a little ahead of the curve because like the the girls the, are not they're, they're weaker than the men. Then the, then no, the and it's, uh, yeah, and and then they also play off of the dynamic of men forcing themselves. Like I love that. Um, it's almost like it reminds me of Uma Thurman in Kill Bill, the woman in the yellow tracksuit, and she like. Well, also you know, one of guy, the actresses like, from this movie played in Kill Bill. Oh really? Yeah, the the girl in the yellow tracksuit in this movie is is the schoolgirl in Kill Bill who has that uh, ball and chain. Oh, is that Chiaki? I think it might be Chiaki. Yeah. Or, well, that's uh, what I'm saying. Like Tarantino really loved this movie. It's not just okay, a little okay. bit. Yeah. And there's that. She has She has one of the, probably the most aesthetic scenes in the film where she gets slashed across the cheek. And then there's like a single teardrop of yeah, blood, basically. Which, yeah, 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 yeah. And then she's holding a switchblade. I don't know. It's just a very aesthetic yeah. shot. But um, that she attacks this boy who's made advances. Now, throughout the film... There is this whole, they bring up the whole premise of middle school and like people having crushes on one another and this being evidence of like a life worth living or not, whether you find love and feeling loved. And of course, because they can't find love in their parents, they're looking for it in each other. So there's all these like social dynamics tied to crushes and that's kind of normative, you know, because there's no, it's all hetero. However, I will say like, where there's a lot of rejection in it that I think is cool, uh, especially among the women rejecting these like male teenage male advances. Right. Like, so I think it does a pretty good job of like expressing some of the yeah. dynamics in a more, yeah. in a more realistic or less yeah. male centric. Yeah, and I think it's, um, it might be specific to Japanese culture where it's not such a macho culture, like Italian guys are like, Hey baby, come here, come here. Uh, it's very hard <laughs> for them to admit their affection. They, they, like none of they, them, uh, yeah, none of, of the men are all like, of the men only admit it at the point where they're almost dead. But other than yeah, that, they would never yeah, mention like, it. Yeah, it's like, I, why did you kill me? I was trying to help yeah. you. Why would you do that? I liked you. I didn't know. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah they're, they're, As the, opposed the, to like walking thing. around in Italy yeah. and every three minutes you get a marriage proposal. Okay, but, yeah, but we have to talk about this. Like this, the supercut of this film that would make you laugh out loud the most would be all of the like last breath <laughs> statements because there are so many, and in, including some of them where had two they, to live? yeah, like when the teacher spoiler alert when the teacher dies at the end, he even like gets up, takes a phone call, eats a cookie, and then <laughs> He's dies. Like, <"That's> cookie. <laughs> <laughs> I 
saw him eat that cookie, I was like, good for him. I would do the same. Uh, yeah, so they really but use it, that last breath. I think it's those human kind of touches of... that make the movie believable. Because it's like, yeah, I would like to eat a cookie. Yeah, well, I think they just, they play, you know, ultimately they're playing uh, a lot within um, a pretty simple premise. And I think the play and that, it has a sort of like, um, there's a sort of childness, like childlike play, like playfulness to it that I think is charming. Like ultimately, I think you can't deny that despite the violence, it's actually like a family movie. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's the irony yeah. of the film. And um, and you end up kind of charmed by it. So it's hard not to like at least one of the characters, like to be like, oh, that was me. And then it's hard not to yeah. find their final statements amusing. And I, I, yeah. I, uh, I'm thinking about this movie, Itchy the Killer. I don't know if you ever saw it. Which, no, I don't think... It sounds familiar. Who, I think that? it's Miike, the Japanese director. It was this era of very... very. Violent. Oh, is it like a Yakuza kind of film It's or It's a, a weird character where he has two piercings in, at the corners of his lips. and then But mm-hmm. beyond that, the, his lips are slashed, sort of like the Joker. And there's a scene where he takes out the piercings and his mouth opens wide and he swallows a guy and... Uh, a human? Well, the, the guy is, is is in a fist fight, and then um, he's trying to beat him. And so this guy with this joker face with slashed cheeks is like just taking the punches. Then he takes out the piercings, and the guy punches, and he swallows his whole wrist <laughs> and then rips off the skin off of his wrist. But I, I'm just thinking about this whole tradition of Japanese perverted violence. And then yeah. the society uh, in, in data just being... Uh, a lot more peaceful than any other country in the world. I just think that's very interesting. They, they get yeah, it out of the system a, somehow. Do we hear our, a dog yeah, barking? Yeah, soda. Soda. <laughs> Soda's our uh, co-cast. <laughs> that's your soundboard yeah, yeah. right there. Uh-oh. Yeah, I mean, I remember like the other film that I think um, burst into the American scene came out that came out in the '90s was Akira, an animated film. Yeah, which was and also a lot like of a, fantastical gory imaginative violence and i think of it also as go- as like sexual yeah. um yeah and there's a whole tradition of, of uh, a society without sort of christian puritanism so there was a lot of weird perverted sex stuff that was fine yeah in in, in the I mean, graphic ultimately in their woodblock prints. Well, ultimately, I think that's what's interesting about this film, right? It's a complete rejection of the structure of society and that adults impose upon these kids. And like, they're a kind of, a, yeah, like you said earlier, a ballet that kind of bursts forward when the rules are rejected. Yeah. I think it's it's kind of... Yeah. Defund the police. There's a lot to like about it. <laughs> Defund the police, for sure. Um, and I, I didn't know this, but apparently at the time... Um, Issues in, in Japanese schools were also related to the fact that, like, um, you have to pay for high school in Japan. Like, there's tuition. And, like, parents, you know, were some, like, kids were sometimes, like, just not able to afford to go to high school. And there was just, like, so there's, like, an economic component to it as well, which is, like, Japanese economic, like, the whole structure of Japanese society was, like, not in a good place. Yeah, from what I've heard, um, there's a lot of pressure from a young age to perform. So they, they even have school tests at age four. And how well can you draw a circle already decides what school you go to at age four. And this yeah. is all anecdotal, just talking to friends. But it seems like there's a lot of pressure to follow rules and be behave in a group. And uh, yeah. I would just say that it's not that different from 
uh, North America or even uh, from Europe. Well, no, no, I, I, I disagree there. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I went to a baccalaureate kind of school where I was the only one who didn't really want to perform um, well, but everyone else was like def- definitely trying to get, like most of my friends didn't do their the first. I don't know. I should reject the Europe. Yeah. Like, I don't know about no, Europe. Because but it, in Canada, anyway, it's like. Christina that uh, in high school, you have to do all these extra things to score points and then you get scholarships and et cetera. Yeah, the like SATs yeah. and but stuff. But there's none yeah, of like, that in the Netherlands. They're like, okay, you're good enough. You can go. <laughs> <laughs> and there is more of an apprenticeship model that exists that's like perfectly respected in Europe, I guess, too, um, right? Like, yeah, maybe more in Germany. But uh, I, I think in general, in in the Netherlands, if you finish high school, that's it. You're you're good mm. enough. Well, I should have gone <laughs> live there, I guess, <laughs> instead of doing another ten years. Yeah, after yeah, that. yeah. Um, but but no, you, you can school. feel this sort of um, pressure idea in a caricature form in a fight to the death of like essay. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, and, I, I you read it, you read it as like athletic yeah, you read and, yeah. You read it as a narr- like a, a metaphor, right? Like ultimately, the violence stands in for competition, kind of the capitalism yeah. rat race. Yeah, I, like I, only one, I, one I was thinking about it. Watching this movie is like, okay, Jeremy's going to say this is a critique of capitalism for sure, <laughs> and I feel like th- this is a few steps before that. This is really the human psyche and the hunter and the tribe and all these things. I think this is pre-capitalism. This, this, uh, mm. I think it's very fashionable to blame everything on capitalism. But I think in, yeah, in communism, maybe, there's also a tribal aspect and how well do you function in the party and then you get to go to the nicer apartment because you... Yeah, so maybe, uh, yeah, maybe you're right. Like, but then it would it's be like It's naive to say that it's, sim- that it's capitalism, yeah. Well, I always say like capitalism, communism, those are all, it's all invented by humans and like the biggest, like the, the, the condensed form is like absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? So like no matter yeah. what, you know, all of these systems... Um, are fallible yeah. because of the but, but this movie, fallibility this movie, of um, the humans uh, behind them. Shows a system where it pits people against each other and they're rewarded for not trusting anyone. Mm-hmm. And you could say that capitalism is similar. That it it, but I think in 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 reality, capitalism favors large organizations yeah, but, like look at Apple and Google. That the the yeah. huge organizations. So it, it's. I don't know. No, I'm just saying, like, the film kind of does its best to present itself almost like a social science yeah. experiment where they're yeah. like randomized packages where you have different advantages or disadvantages. Like, the two heroes end up, you know, in their packages, right? Everyone gets this little package with a weapon. Or in the case of like the two people that emerge as like the finalists and win our attention, they have a pair of binoculars and a pot lid. Yeah, they have the lid. <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah. So in the rags to riches story of like you, sh- you have every disadvantage. They're the people you're rooting for because, you know, they're the underdogs yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And, and there's um, so many characters in the movie. It's hard to keep up like the, this person had a crush on that person, but they actually like this person. And it, it's, it's 40 mm-hmm. people, which is a lot to absorb in a movie. Yeah. Would you did you find like if you compare this to The Hunger Games, is I the Hunger Games the easier Hunger to follow? Games. Oh, yeah. no. Sorry, uh, you should you should definitely see it. I don't know. Um, Isn't I mean, it like Marvel movies? Mm. No, no. I mean, there's some things that are actually kind of fun and charming about it. Like chief among them, the television show host. Like they I, really I just, amp up. That I just aspect. immediately thought when it came out, like this is the watered down version of Battle Royale. 
Um, well, I yeah, I, like I think it's worth comparing. Yeah. It's definitely not. I wouldn't say it's watered well, down. Good thing it's, it's my turn to pick a movie because we're not watching that. Well, one. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I guess because I'm just suspicious uh, of gonna, movies where the actors are too handsome and and too plain, normal looking. And well, first of all, they, you know that film takes like it's a trilogy, so it takes them like three films. Now there was a, a second. There's a sequel to this film, Battle Royale Two, which I have not. Yeah, seen. it's supposed to be bad. Huh? Well, and for different reasons. Apparently, though, it's closer to almost like Apocalypse Now because like the the like the the hero Potlid man that comes out of this movie ends up being like the head of a tribe of children who have rejected adults of that society completely. Oh, so it's and almost Lord like, of the Flies. Yeah. Yeah. Or more like Lord of the Flies, I guess. Yeah. And so they have, you know, it's, it's the story of like the military and, and so on trying to invade his compound, which is full of like, he's like a cult yeah. leader in, yeah. in the V2. Um, I'm kind of curious to watch it cause I didn't even know it existed, but yeah. Um, we're not going to do a sequel. On I don't podcast. know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> do you feel like there's any topics of the movie we did not discuss yet? We talked about music, which is always what. Yeah, we're I, I to love do. the the beginning. The movie. The, it kind of felt like Apocalypse Now, like this that way of using classical music. Well, we didn't mention that this guy. Um, I think it's Takeshi Kitano, like the teacher. He's like a pretty well known. Japanese celebrity, yeah. right? And he, he was. He a also made the painting in the in the end of the movie. Oh, right! I forgot he was a painter. Yeah. Um, he but he, uh, he also became a director at some yeah. point after he's, he's having a motorcycle active. accident or something. Yeah. Um, and what else? I don't know. I don't know if there's much else to mention. No, I think I think it's good. The film is best best watched <laughs> in the dark and experienced. Yeah, but then the, the video game aspect, I think, is really just impossible. Like the legacy of this this film culturally, is it, it is it the is funny, predominant yeah. form of entertainment on the yeah. planet. I cannot emphasize yeah, yeah, that yeah. enough. Like more and people. And it's funny when you go to the root of day. an idea and you're like, oh, I can't believe this didn't exist before this movie. It just seems yeah. so obvious. It's like, yeah, of course, there's a timer and there are zones, and you die if you don't participate, and blah 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 blah. And uh, and like someone came up with it, like someone came up with the I Love New York logo, and it just seems so yeah. obvious. Milton Glaser. Yeah, there's no way of unseeing that. It's like oh, the heart symbol, and then you have an abbreviation, and it makes this cool graphic element on a T-shirt and a sticker and a bumper, and then you can say I love Toronto, or you can say I love Barcelona. Yeah, and, yeah. It's so simple. It and I think this is one of those category-defining <laughs> de- movies that uh, is it has been the the source of so many things. Yeah, it's almost like there's no need for nuance. Though I do think there's some nuance in the film. Like I, I, ultimately, yeah, that, what trans? Yeah, sorry. Yeah. No, no. What what's come out of it though is a formula. No, but, like at the end of the day, it got reduced to. But a But the dialogue in the movie sometimes is kind of philosophical. Like I, I still think it, it's very. It's, philosophical, it's not just yeah. like let's kill everybody, but they're thinking. Uh, so it that's has been this, stripped it away. It has this sensitivity in in the dialogue that you wouldn't expect. And it, yeah, and I think that's probably why other films, you know, haven't been like probably this will outlive the importance yeah. of like. I uh, mean, Hunger I, Games, I, I I was always a fan of Jackasses back in the day, and of and course. they 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 were exploring pranks and all this stuff, but exploring yeah pranks. but that's a good way of like but it. at the time like there artists. were a couple of spin-offs or copycat shows that 
weren't as funny. And I think you need something beyond the, the violence. And sometimes it's humor and sometimes it's this philosophical element. But if... Well, they'd say it was like that John... Was it Johnny Dangerous? Johnny or Knoxville. Whatever, or Johnny Knoxville, yeah. Yeah, but... <laughs> like that it was the personality. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the personalities. But I've seen a couple... There was, a, I think, an Irish version where they were doing the same stunts and even more crude and it wasn't funny. The people weren't funny. And you're just like, oh, I don't want to watch this. This is awful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, they've stripped something away, some yeah, of the soul out yeah, of it. Yeah. Um, even in the video games that I mentioned, there are now like hundreds of different um, video games that follow this format. However, the the ones that people still play the original Player Unknown Battlegrounds, and there was one before that I can't remember that that started the thing. But Fortnite has managed to maintain a lot of the a lot of the attention. And one thing that they do in Fortnite that I should have mentioned and I didn't, is that they actually have built in narrative structure into the multiplayer genre. So they will have like, you know, weird events that happen on the map that tie back to a meta narrative. So the players are battling amidst a meta narrative, which I think is rather unique yeah. as well. And it and it keeps people coming back to the game to see what has changed or what's new. So there's that, there's almost a reality show dynamic to the way they run that video game as a multiplayer game, which has now actually become a standard format too for for multiplayer games because multiplayer games suffer from this idea that or a problem where people kind of get burnt out on it. Like, eh, it's like all it's the same thing. It's like the same five maps <laughs> and like, you know, the same five guys that always win or whatever, or same five people. Humans are funny. So, it's like you can yeah. fly around the world and nobody is amazed by that. Everybody complains about flying. <laughs> no, but I mean, ultimately, the idea that you would, you know, have a game mechanic and then you would layer on a meta narrative is it's funny because like people always make this argument between games and cinema. But ultimately, like in this very specific example, games are literally like, OK, let's try and make um, a movie that lasts 100 years kind yeah. of thing, like, yeah. you know, the, where it's replayable thousands and thousands of hours. Yeah. Um so anyway, I, that's this week Battle Royale. What do we, I don't know. We don't normally announce next week anymore, so no. we'll have to wait and see. But our quest for a non-heroic film, I guess, continues. Like a, a film without a single protagonist. There was a villain in this movie, definitely that badass guy with the machine gun who had terrible aim. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> why not use two hands? Yeah. Just use two. Use two. Cool. Just use two hands. Oh my God. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> also, where did he get all the bullets? Like the amount of bullets and ammunition. Jamie, he used. sometimes you just gotta trust. <laughs> anyway, that guy, jeez, and then he died so easily. Anyway, um, so yeah, I don't, I don't know. We'll surprise yeah. people, I guess. But thank you for listening. Time. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye bye. Enjoy your own personal battle. Bye bye. You do what I must. Then now. バトルロワイヤルの正しいの使い方監修ディアルホース推進会白夜学園三年 
俺が殺しは反則だよな。